And good evening, Mets fans. This is Rich Barago, otherwise known as Met Fan Rich on Twitter, and also otherwise known as one of three who bring you the Metsian podcast with Sam, Mike, and Rich. So with that said, I'd like to welcome you to a very special episode of the Metsian podcast with Sam, Mike, and Rich, where it isn't often that your baseball team hires a new GM, and the Mets did that this week, and we're going to spend 90% of our show talking about that. Certainly not going to do it alone. I'd like to introduce my co-creators here. Uh, let's see, where are we going to go first? Let's go to northern New Jersey, and we'll bring in the man I like to call the mastermind behind the podcast of uh, Sam, Mike, and Rich, and that is Mr. Sam Maxwell. Sam, how are you tonight? Well, I, I only have to correct you in that I'm in Hell's Kitchen currently, so I'm currently within the New York State region, but yes, I've been in North Jersey the majority of the time recently, but tomorrow, however, Rich, as you are well aware, I will be in your humble neck of the woods. Humble it is, and um, and we'll look. I'll look forward to seeing you tomorrow, hopefully, Sam, that would be awesome. And one of these days, we're going to do a, a podcast while we're sitting in the same room, which would be even better. So welcome, Sam. Absolutely. Thanks for, uh, for coming on. Yeah, that'll be great. And so let's bring on the third member of the team. And one of these days, one of these days, guys, we have to do a podcast where all three of us are in the same room, which has never happened. And with that said, I'd like to crank it around to Brooklyn and welcome on Mr. Mike LeCollin. Mike, how are you tonight? I'm doing well. Howdy, boys. Good to be talking with you again. It's great to be talking with you too, Mike. And so, all right, so let's jump into it. On our last show, we always do the last word when we do a show, and we always say, all right, what do we want? What's the last word for the show? And what we talked about was we wanted the Mets to get off off the pot here and name a GM. A lot of stuff coming up. We have the GM meetings, all that stuff. Winter meetings are literally around the corner, about five weeks away, and they had to get somebody in place. Well, they did. The Mets have hired Brody Van Wagenen, or as we said last week, using the Dutch-German Brody Van Wagenen. And, um, and as Mike and I were talking before the show began, Brody is already, the man's on the job a couple days, he's already divisive force in Metzville. Let's talk about that. But before getting into your comments on the hiring of Brody Van Wagenen, the Mets had a field to choose from, and the field was pretty diverse. Um, they had someone like Bob Melvin, sort of an old-school guy in the mix, Chaim Bloom, who's the anti-Bob Melvin, a younger fellow who is uh, very analytical and has demonstrated a proficiency for winning on a shoestring budget down in Tampa. So they had those guys. They had Kim Ng, who had been an assistant GM with the Yankees, Dodgers, and worked in MLB, among a couple of other candidates as well. And they landed on Brody, former agent Brody Van Wagenen. Um, and we'll call him that for the rest of the show. How about that? So I'm going to just stop here and get my colleagues to give me their reactions. The Mets have produced a GM, and I'm dying to hear what you guys think of that choice. Let's start with Mike, who I believe has some strong opinions on the matter. So, Mike, take it away. What are your thoughts on the hiring of Brody Van Wagenen? On the one hand, Rich, I'm open to it. I welcome it, and and, and I'm looking forward to seeing what he has in store for the New York Mets. This is so difficult for me, uh, but I can indeed compartmentalize all of this. 
and, and to me, there, there's too much about this that strikes me business as usual. And unfortunately, I'm going to have to take our listeners into a little history lesson. Fred Wilpon has never hired a general manager he wasn't already personally familiar with. When they purchased the team, him and Doubleday, back in 1980, they handed over the reins to Frank Cashin on good advice. You know, uh, bravo to them for listening to somebody and, and bringing Frank Cashin in. Frank Cashin, before he retired in 91, stocked the front office with gentlemen named Jerry Hunsicker, Joe McElvain, Al Harrison, and, and a junior member called, or named rather, Steve Phillips. So what happens? Frank Cashin steps down, and Wilpon and Cashin decide that Al Harrison is going to su- succeed him as general manager. Hunsicker and McLevain blow a gasket. They leave the organization all pissed off. Hunsicker goes to the Astros. McLevain goes to the Padres. Fred Wilpon realizes his mistake two years too late. So what does he do to correct that? He gets on the phone and he calls up Jerry Hunsicker begging him to return. His pleas are rebuffed. So then he calls Joe McLevain and McLevain agrees to come back and become general manager of the Mets. Fast forward, he gets fired. Fred Wilpon turns to Steve Phillips, another in-house hire. Steve Phillips, in turn, brings into the front office fold Jim Duquette and Omar Minaya. Omar Minaya goes to the Expos and becomes general manager there. When it comes time to fire Steve Phillips, Fred Wilpon turns to the lone remaining executive he has in his front office, which is Jim Duquette, and the man never stood a chance. He got replaced before he even got fired. Fred Wilpon got on the phone and called up Omar Minaya begging him to come back. And Omar came back and then got fired. And for the first time, the Wilpons were faced with having to go out and seek out a new executive of their own volition. And for a week, two weeks, well, let's start with their list back in, in, in 2010. It was unimpressive. And their performance over a week and two weeks was Again, unimpressive. Until Major League Baseball stepped in and offered Sandy Alderson. You have to bring the Madoff mess into this because they were undergoing a financial implosion. And Bud Selig also had Frank McCord of the Dodgers on his hands. So where he had, where he whereas he forced out McCord and, and made him sell, he sort of imposed Sandy Alderson upon the Wilpons, our new general manager. That should have been Jeff Wilpon's first hire in his capacity. But Sandy Alderson is named general manager by default. So now he steps down. And here we are again. The Mets, Fred and Jeff, are forced with having to seek out a new executive of their own volition. But they have this three-headed monster, and they set preconditions for the next potential general manager that, you know, they would like for these three gentlemen to be retained, Richardi, Rico, and Manaya, and that we would like for the manager to come back. Those are preconditions. Whether I agree with them or not, they're preconditions. And, and, and the first thing you have to question is autonomy. 
getting back to like father, like son, the list of candidates, first of all, we have to deal with the people who just declined them outright, who wanted no part of this organization. Big names, Ben Sherrington, Chernoff, Sad Levine, wanted nothing to do with this organization because Wilpon's reputation precedes them. I thought Kim Eng was a good candidate. But once I heard Doug Melvin, who would have been a safe hire, nothing more, nothing less, once I heard he was out of the fold, out of the mix, I knew right then and there that Jeff won the internal tug of war between him and his father. His father wanted to be of the old school mind with scouting, being first and foremost in primary, et cetera, et cetera, and Jeff wanting to go in a new direction. Well, the fact that Doug Melvin got eliminated from that thought and, and process told me all I needed to know. Jeff won. And by hiring Brody Van Wagenen, which, Rich, I, I love tapping into this Bavarian thing and calling him that. <laughs> uh, you know, he and Jeff are friends, have been friends for a long time. They have a relationship. He, he is known, very known to Jeff. And like his father, Jeff went for the known. This is, I, I, you know, on the outside, this looks like out-of-the-box thinking, but when, when, when you kick away some of the dirt and sand and leaves, you find that this is the same old crap because he hired his friends, somebody he's comfortable with, somebody he can trust, and somebody he can tighten his grip on this organization through because that's, in fact, what he did. He, now he created, we went from a three-headed monster to a four-headed monster. So hiring Heim Bloom would have would that would have been out of the box because he's the unknown. He's the person who is not or has never been tethered to the world ponds. None of these people have been previously in a relationship with the world ponds, except maybe Gary Lorac. And I could be wrong about another name or two on the list, but the point is still. Prime Bloom would have been out of the box thinking because there was no previous relationship. There was no previous understanding of each other. Or compassion for that matter. You know, a guy like Steve Phillips just oozes compassion for the Wilpons. That's where I stand, Rich. I, I am being fair about this. I want him to succeed. He's a bright guy. I think he brings valuable and, and, and a very different perspective to the organization. I, I, I do think there's knowledge to be gained as an agent into the operations of an organization because you're dealing with organizations, multiple organizations, and you can compare how one operates versus the other. Uh, you know the in-game. So there's a lot of positives about the hire. This is not about Brody Van Wagenen as far as I'm concerned. Him and another of himself, I'm more than willing willing to give him a, a fair share and let him be the 13th general manager in Mets history. I don't have an issue with that. I have an issue with the Wilpons because to me, this is really business as usual. For as much as they want to put lipstick on this pig, I see right through it. Then again, that's just me. But I'm old enough to recall every day of this ownership going back to 1980. 
I know how they operate. And to me, this is business as usual. I want Omar Minaya to stay now. I can't say that for the other two, but I really do want Omar Minaya to stay now. I wanted somebody else to come in here and just gut it. But I'm not going to have my way. Jeff won the tug of war. He is firmly in charge of this organization now, without a doubt, without a doubt. And he's done nothing more than just tighten his grip. And I'm sorry, but I'll have to refer back to Nelson Doubleday, the late, great Nelson Doubleday, and his prophecy about Jeff Wilpon wanting to become a baseball man. It's being fulfilled. It's about everything I want to say about it. I'm clear. Mike, it's a good take. It's well thought out. And you raised some good points. And I don't want to jump on that. I want Sam to. Sam, give us your opinion. And if you want to talk to what Mike said or whatever, just why don't you go with it? There's nothing else I can add in terms of the Wilpons element of it. I mean, all I can say about the Wilpons element is this, and this is probably where I will start. It's got to stick eventually, right? I mean... They might be friends. They, it might be the exact same pattern you've seen with this, with this people. But we have recognized that the Wilpons, and very quickly on the release of Sandy Alderson himself, although, again, for health reasons, but they did not meddle. They let the team adjust. And Brody Von Wagaden may be Jeff Wilpon becoming a baseball man coming into its own. Now, I've had a lot of problems with Jeff Wilpon, but at some point, if you're going to be in this as long as your father has been in it, in it, and his father is pushing close to 40 years at this point, then you are going to have your ups, you are going to have your downs. And he had plenty of those, and according to Pedro, he had some disgusting ones, and according to a lawsuit, he had some even more disgusting ones. But at some point, humans are humans, and if you respond properly to what you know and people tell you is bad behavior, then you have to be given the benefit of the doubt. At this point, we cannot in any way, shape, or form understand what's going to happen. We can only go off of the fact that he's an agent, like Sandy Alderson. Sandy Alderson like blatantly talked lawyer talk. Sandy Alderson blatantly double-talked because he knew he, wasn't, he did not want to get put into any position for anybody to ever go back and say Sandy said this. He was constantly being like, we more or less think that that's what's going to happen. Maybe, maybe not. That's, that's what it is. And he's an agent. Brody Von, Brody Von Wagenen is an agent. And agents are very much like lawyers. Agents generally come from background law, whether it be in just studies or actual background. That's how they negotiate. 
I think that we may be on the precipice of the Wilpons finally figuring it out. Now, we have to see whether the things he's saying come to fruition. He's being very braggadocio and rich. You're about to get into all of that. At what he's saying right now, I like where he's coming from. And you need to, and, 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 and the fact that he's a player agent and the fact that they've had trouble identifying with players from the outside of the organization could be a good thing too. I like the people that he that 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 he represented. I like the the people that he got good deals for. And at that particular, when we were thinking about that, I'm not saying that means that this person's coming here or that person's coming here. And we can get into this too because I don't want Bryce Harper or Manny Machado on the Mets franchise if we're talking about superstars and we're getting into what Brody Von Vagadin Vagadin has to do now. But at the same time, I, I think that we may, and again, he's not going to be flawless, but we may be looking at the first proper hire of the Jeff Wilpon era, which basically you can only put as when Nelson Doubleday left, is when Jeff got more power. The Fred and Jeff combination hasn't been so great to begin with. But everybody's flawed. Everybody goes through baby steps. Everybody goes through weird adolescent elements of their life. And so at this particular point, considering that Jeff has been, or at least the Mets through Jeff, have been impressing me on the short term more often than not, I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt, and I want to see how he approaches everything going forward. Let's see how this goes. Yeah, so, Sam, I hear you. And you you guys presented very different approaches. And and I think you could make an argument that either can be very accurate. So let me tell you how I saw it, which is interesting, because it's pretty much looking at something, and Mike looks at it one way. I look at that same thing and look at it the exact opposite way. Let me tell you what I mean. And please, Mike, rebut, Sam, jump in. So the whole thing about them being friends and all that, See, I thought of that as a positive. See, I thought of it as if Brody Van Wagenen goes to Jeff and says, look, I know it's unlike you and unlike this organization to want to bring in the biggest ticket item, but I'm telling you right now, I've been on the other side of the fence, and the way I've sold these guys is you might spend a lot, but think about the merchandise sales. Think about you know the, the, the trickle-down effect of organizational value. And so, and then he might figuratively put his arm around Jeff and say, look, man, we're friends. I I would not steer you wrong here. This works. Trust me, it works. And Jeff might look at him and say, this, this, this is my man. You know, I, I don't think he would sell me a bill of goods here. Let's do it. All right, Brody, you sold me. Because remember what an agent does, an agent sells, like you said earlier, Sam, an agent sells as a lawyer who sells. So if, if he could sell Jeff Wilpon into doing some things the Mets have not traditionally been doing, 
And Jeff might just go for it because he's going to say, look, not only is he a good salesman, he's also my, my buddy, right? I saw that as, wow, this is pretty good. Now, Mike, I completely respect what you're saying, that no, 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 the friendship just means that Jeff remains in control. And you might be right, but it's interesting to me how we could look at an object on the table and see it entirely differently. We just do. And so, Mike, go ahead. What are your thoughts on what I just said? It's just unfortunate that their reputation precedes them. Uh, and, and I'm trying to be fair about this. And, and I, you know, look, there's a part of me that applauds the hiring of Brody. There's just another part of me that is real skeptical uh, of the Will Pond's motivations. Uh, for all we know, he hired a yes man, somebody who's going to acquiesce to his, his vision. And perhaps, you know, I'm not saying that this is the case. I'm just playing contrarian now. Uh, Like I said, you know, his, the the organization's biggest confidant is still Omar Minaya. And his connection with Fred. So, I don't even trust Fred and Jeff enough that, you know, they're not going to be subversive against each other. Omar and Fred versus Jeff and Brody. I can see that happening. And, and I'm saying this in jest, obviously, but I can certainly see that playing out. So, you know, I, I, my goal is, is just to have people aware of, of the history behind all the general manager hiring since 1980. Uh, you know, and I guess maybe for the benefit of a younger generation, because, Rich, you and I lived it. We know it. We saw it and how it played out. And there came a point where right up until and through Omar Minaya, you know, uh, it, it, it became, and I hope people can be adult about this word, but it became an incestuous atmosphere where they were almost forced to go off campus just for the sake of seeking out a new idea and something, you know, someone to serve as a contrarian to the Wilpons. And that's why I I, I say Heinblum was the unknown. He would have been the real out-of-the-box thinking. As far as I'm concerned, Jeff is still in a comfort zone. Fred is still in a comfort zone because, you know, being inexperienced and in his first capacity as a baseball executive, who knows how malleable this kid's going to be. At the end of the day, those two are still calling the shots. That's why I wanted someone with a much stronger backbone. And the fact that they, the fact that Ben Sherrington ran away and said, I want nothing to do with it was primarily based on he wants to build something from the ground up. Okay, so so it's right. So let's 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 hold on, Mike. Let's explore that. And Rich, if you want to take it take it from here with that specifically, and go back to Mike with uh, I mean whatever. Um, that the rumor we heard was that Ben Sherrington wanted to burn it to the ground. And do I want to just burning it to to the ground mean getting rid of Degrom? Like straight up, the number one player we should be talking about in this. And that is the former, that is the former, that is the GM's former client. Well, do we want to be getting, burning it to the ground to that level? What, is, what do you think that, Mike, what, Mike, what do you think that meant? 
that wasn't my point. I, I, I don't necessarily think that the Mets need to burn it down to the ground. That wasn't my point. My point is that he was he was a contrarian. And he took okay. him out of their comfort zone and eliminated him from the fucking list. Oh, there I go again. I'm sorry. Just like no, that. No, I, 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 see what, I see what you're saying, but like, like uh, they, you know, do you think it was that, do you think it was that black and white? I, I, I think he just represented a contrarian. That's all I'm saying. Okay. I want you so, to continue your answer. Say again? Rich, take it away. All right. So, so Mike, no, I, I clearly, your point is that what they did was they hired somebody, they, or Jeff hired somebody he knows. So this way he'll use that, that familiarity to basically remain in full control of the team. And a better move would have been, you know, to completely go on the outside, somebody without a previous relationship, to take an objective look and make objective decisions. And, and I think that point, is well taken, and it very, very, may, very well may be the right way to look at this, and that may be what happens. What I'm hoping is that Brody uses his friendship with, with Jeff to encourage Jeff to do some things the Mets have not been doing and uses that, you know, as, as a leverage point. And, and I think either could happen. So, Sam, I'm going to ask you, Break the tie. Which way do you go on on the friendship between Brody and Jeff? I like where you're coming from, Rich, with it. Um, I I also get where Mike is coming from. I can't say that I don't. And, again, it would be – I think with this particular thing, it would be too overwrought for me to to get uh, attached to one side. Um. I think we need to let it play out. Like, like that, and that, and that's the frustrating part of right now is that, and I think we all, all of us humans, like for instance, you know, I have tried to change a lot of different habits over the last three weeks, only three weeks. And within that first week with certain days, you know, like for instance, while I was at the gym and running and, and feeling like that I, I, my lungs didn't feel as strong as they should, you know, I wanted the 12 years of, of, of being 20 and, 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 you know, in my thirties, finally figuring it out, but too late for, you know, your 30th year, like, of that type of type of instance, like I, I know that I want to get rid of 12 years of improper adulting in one day, but I can't. And so, you know, whether it be just our perception of the whale ponds or whether, whether it be, you know, everything we've experienced, everything with the Mets, everything with, with, how lawyers work, everything with the way, the way everything works. We, we need to take it step by step. And unfortunately, when it comes to Brody Von Wagenen, Wagenen, Jesus, what a hard name to pronounce, but I guess where Mike's coming from with the V. Anyway, everybody else is calling it BVW on Twitter, but like that's Twitter. We have to try to pronounce it, right, guys? So, you know, I think, unfortunately, we all have to have patience. I don't want to have patience. You don't want to have patience. Mike wants to immediately see it as at face value. And you know what? That is what 
his interpretation is, is face value. He's right. Mike is right. It does look like, you know what, this kid's good, but this is what I'm familiar with. Yeah, we all want to go with the comfortable thing. We all try to fight against that. The real puns might be brazenly not fighting against that, and they've been doing that for basically almost 30 years. And it's amazing, but sometimes, you know, the 20-something needs to turn into 20, you know, 30-something, and they need to figure it out. And crazy enough, that's what Fred is doing. That's what Jeff is doing, especially since you, if you want to put it, Jeff is trying to be the, like, in baseball years, Jeff is 18 years old. And this is his first chance to be an adult. And we'll see how it goes. And I, I I'll, think that's I'll fair. I'll try to put a, a more positive spin on, on this thing. Uh, Rich, in, in, in defense of your position, a- analytics-wise, uh, you know, they're making fun of whoever's fault it is, be it Jeff, the organization, Sandy's. You know, the joke is we only have three guys in our analytics department. I heard Michael Kay say the other day that the Yankees have a staff of, like, 22 or 23 people on theirs. I do think that Brody's going to make Jeff understand the importance of that and expanding that, and and if it entails spending more money on that, I I do think he'll be able to make him understand that and and expand on that. And here's another thing. What's one of the largest criticisms against the Wilpons, even presently. Yeah, they spend money, but they don't spend it wisely. I don't doubt for a second that Jeff thinks, well, first of all, we know that they hear everything that's said about them. They monitor all that. They're they're paranoid that way. And I know Jeff knows and hears the opinions about him and you know, somewhere in the back of their, their minds that jives with them and, and whatnot. One of the biggest, you know, gripes against them presently is that, yeah, they spend money, they just don't spend it wisely. And, and perhaps Brody is an effort to start spending money more wisely. You know, like Sam said in our last episode, you know, regardless of, of health issues, and we wish them well, there, there are legitimate critiques to be made against Sandy Alderson and the way he operated things to a certain extent. But maybe Brody is an effort to spend money more wisely. Maybe the money's going to be there. We've known they, they do spend when they have it, when they're not in financial, you know, crisis. Uh, but they haven't always done it wisely. And because they don't have a, a an expansive history in free agency, the times that they do dabble in it, if it doesn't work, you know, it's a major thing. And not, I, I don't make it my business to bring the, the, the other team in town into our conversations, you know, but they make a myriad of mistakes and just, you know, over the years and, and just have been able to sweep them under the rug. They paid a, a, a guy $40 million to, pay, play, you know, pitch in their minor leagues for Pete's sake. That's one of maybe 20 we can name off the top of our head. So maybe Brody is an attempt to spend that money more wisely, because you know they have they have connections with these players down to the college level. I mean they're in the shadows at that point, but the second they turn pro, they come out of the woodworks and they get you know their hands on these guys from a very very 
young and impressionable age, and they understand exactly what players' needs are, and they and you know agents know exactly what organizations need. So I think that's a positive, Rich. Well, maybe it is, and I think you know what we've heard are two different ways of looking at it, and we've heard Sam sort of like probably give the most logical answer, which is let's just wait and see how it plays out. Let's wait and see which way it goes. So, all right, let's move on to the next topic of the night, which is, so Brody, our BBW or Brody Van Wagenen, whatever you want to call him, has been on the air a lot. You know, there was the Mets, um, there was the Mets introduction of him. Um, he was on with Mike Francesa uh, that day. And basically what he's saying is the following. He's saying that this team can win now. It can win in the future. This team does not need a rebuild. Um, it needs some smart fixing and some smart additions, but with those smart additions that he plans to get going on right away, the team can be He also commented that the division does not seem to have a dominant team, something with which I agree, by the way. And so, you know, Sam, you called it bravadocio um, in the uh, in the write-up you did, and I think that's probably right. You know, when you come when you take the job and you say, look. We can win now. We can win in the future. We just have to be smart. I'm the guy. That's basically his approach. So, to those who wanted a complete teardown and rebuild in the organization, that's not going to happen. All right. So Brody's going to try to win now. That's one thing. The next thing is, how does his approach land on you? Um, so, Mike, I'll go to you first on this one. Does it land on you as a guy who is confident and has looked at the roster and, and, you know, is speaking from an informed perspective? Or does it sound like he's the Wilpons puppet saying, you know, go out and buy season tickets? So, so which one is it, Mike? You know what? I'm going to leave the Wilpons out of this. Uh, yes to what you say, that he's speaking uh, perhaps from a, a, a sense of confidence and, and knowledge of the team. Uh, I, I think we all agree that they don't need a tear down. They don't need a rebuild. Uh, things went awry in May and June. We have the pitching. We just need, uh, you know, certain positions filled more adequately. And, and we should be a contender. The division is indeed up for grabs. Uh, we just need some bullpen work, and uh, we can win. No, and I'll put that in quotes. Don't expect anything very soon, and by that I mean 2019, because I think 2019, outside of health, is going to be the same exact thing as 2018, only because of the contractual obligations to Cespedes and and, and Frazier and, and 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 the pitchers that you know will bleed into next season that will start freeing up by 2020. So by then, I certainly hope to see something radically different from what's going on now. Not necessarily, you know, mind-altering, mind something mind-altering into next year. Uh, but I have no problem with what he said or how he said it. I'm all for it. He sounded smart, sounded confident, sounded knowledgeable. But you could always win the press conference. You can always win the off season. So I'm not knocking him. I'm I'm cool. I'm with them. I agree with basically everything he said, despite the interviewer. <laughs> I think I know what you mean. And, uh, yeah, I listened to that online, and I, I was not a fan of the way he was being interviewed at all. So, Sam, let's go to you. Um, Brody, was he 
saying the right things because he's an agent and a salesman, or did you buy into what he said and felt that it came from the heart? Guys, I have an opinion about this, but it'll have to happen after we're back after this. <laughs> Very good. Anyway, um, first of all, great Carl Pavano reference, Mike. Am I correct? <laughs> say, say that again. I said great Carl Pavano reference. Am I correct? That was Carl you were referencing Pavano. Carl Pavano He's when it comes to the Yankees paying forty million dollars. Well, it was actually Kagawa. It was actually Kagawa. They paid him forty-two or forty-four million dollars right. to play. Oh my God! You know, well, well again, that's can you stretch, we can throw out twenty darts. You know, and tell, tell me the name again. Dabble, tell me the name again. When you dabble in free agency that much, you tend to talk about more about the hits than the misses. It's just a different dynamic. Sorry to throw you Rich, you you happen to it just seems like everybody wants to pronounce Von Wagenen as Von Von Vogeden. That's the American way. We're American. With a D <laughs> though. No, but with a D. Rich, you pronounce it with a D. You you put in there's two N's at the end of his word. It's Nen. But we keep, and, and I, I am including myself in this. I am including uh, uh, me being somebody who wants to put a D in this. You, we, we pronounce it Vagaden. There's no Vagaden. D. Vagaden. There's no D. No, there's no D. There's no D. Who said there's a D? Vagaden. But, but Rich said it Vagaden. And no, I Vagaden. say it Vagaden. It sounded like Vagaden. It sounds like we all want to insert a D. I've had the same problem where I want to call him Brody Von Vagaden. <laughs> and that's what I heard from you, Rich. I, I think it's because, Sam, I work for a German company. I've been to Germany a few times, and that's how they say it. And it's an yep. E, but it kind of sounds Z-ish. But anyway. Right, right, right. Okay. Yeah. So, so yeah. also... I have to say another thing, Mike. You mentioned uh, Todd Frazier. I'm way too optimistic about Frazier. I still think Frazier has value and was one of his his uh, clients, and he got him that deal. That's a crazy good deal for somebody who hits two something <laughs> that he hits every year. And mind you, though, I love the power that eventually comes around. He was injured for a harsh portion of the year, and he wasn't all that injured for the entire year. I think Todd Frazier is still somebody who can bring value, and I love the fact that he's, he's a spokesman for the Mets, and we always need spokesmen for the Mets. I'm going to Alex Cora on this one. And Alex Cora in 2009 once spoke of the Mets as the Metropolitans. Nobody's going to feel sorry for the Metropolitans, and he said this at some point while everything was falling apart. And and he would have been a good spokesman for the Mets, but that's a whole other different story. But that's a good example of being a good spokesman for the Mets. David Wright, good spokesman for the Mets. Lived his entire life and career for this franchise and had everything right to say about the franchise when asked about this, no matter how dark and deep everything got. That's what we need. And Todd Frazier, I believe, as I believe Brody von Wagenen are good spokesmen for this franchise. Now, 
I, with, in terms of uh, Wagenen, it all has to play out. But I think there's more good to be looked at than bad. And we're not going to get rid of the Wilpons. Like, unless they finally decide to want to make that billion, but what they see still is what they know is there, which is what would bring back $2 billion at least to their profit. And that is something that's worth second to the Yankees, not by much. That is what this New York franchise is. And hopefully with this specific hire, we see something that comes, you know, has all that potential come to fruition, finally. So, all right, so with regard to the hire of BBW, we'll call it, we can kind of move on to some other topics, but um, with regard to the Bravidocio, well, you know, he – he does have something to work with. And, yes, we are talking about Mike Francesa and how Francesa, in my opinion, absolutely badgered him, saying – he kept saying, well, you're saying I have any work to do, when Brody was clearly saying, you know, we have some holes to fill, but we have talent, and I intend to get to work on that, and I'm going to explore every opportunity and every possible avenue to fill those holes. And Francesa just kept saying, so you're saying you have no work to do, which drove me a bit crazy. But anyway um, – I think he said the right things. Like, I think he said, look, we have something to work with. There's work to be done. But you know what? We're not in the division with the Boston Red Sox. We're not. We don't have to worry about 108 wins staring us in the face. And the other thing is, we don't have to worry about the second-place team winning 100 games and the third-place team winning 90. We don't have that in this division. (laughs) And that's what he was saying. So, and I like the approach. I think it was genuine. And, you know, I've seen the cynics say that, you know, it was a, it was a puppet, you know, buy season tickets, blah, 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 blah. The right approach would be to tear it down. Look, we, to your point, Sam, this is what we have. It's not getting torn down. Okay, accept that. And secondly, did he say the right things? And does he, he comes off as confident and polished to me. Um, he's a well-dressed, sharp guy, too. And, and none of that, he's a statesman for the team. None of that is bad. And summarizing this whole discuss, this 45-minute discussion, yes, we have to wait and see how this plays out. But, but I have some confidence in him. I really do. Um, all right, so let's move on to a couple of other things. Uh, I do want to get your, your opinion on what should BVW, we've called them a lot of things, what should BVW focus on first? So biggest need on the team to fill, Sam, go. What's the first thing? Ooh, that's a tough one. Um... Don't get rid of the pitching, bottom line. Everybody's always craving pitching, and uh, I don't think it, – it, it sounds like Jacob deGrom's not going anywhere, uh, and we can get to that in a second. <laughs> um, number one. Number two, it's tough with the whole Cespedes thing, right? Where do you, where do you go exactly? I mean, I don't want Machado. And maybe you guys can help me since I've been a little bit out of the loop as to who is available right now when it comes to the free agency. But I, I, I think that, number one, you have to figure out people like Jose Reyes. What are you going to do about Jose Reyes? Is that like part of, of what the Wilpons have, have come up with, is that Jose Reyes doesn't go anywhere for a year? Do you, are you trying to convince Jose Reyes to retire? Because that's a big roster spot, weirdly enough, unless Jose Reyes can actually be 
what he should be. And that's what's so frustrating about the entire thing is that Jose Reyes should be a great player on the bench finishing out his career like Chase Utley. It it just oh, and, oh God. So <laughs> what do you what do you exactly do here? I mean, I think that the pitching like do you do do you shore that up? And I, I you know, you're not gonna get Clayton. It sounds like he's probably gonna go back to the Dodgers. But like do you do you figure out how to how to make sure you don't need to have Corey Oswald pitching? Um, I I think that everybody's talking about the infield. The outfield's taken care of. Um, I you give it to Jeff McNeil. I think first base is a place to go then. And uh, uh, if if you're not going to be attached to anybody that is happening, but Pete, Pete Alonso is getting a lot of press being a minor leaguer. Uh, not just in baseball terms, but also in being Robert Plant. So, you know, I don't know. And I send it over to you, Mike. First base, you know, the forty-man roster and waivers and that whole situation is gonna is gonna pretty much dominate what the Mets do with first base unless they trade Alonso. What the Mets can realistically do going into next season is address catcher and the bullpen. I'm not saying who, you know, I'm just saying that's what they can realistically do this offseason is address catcher and and improve the bullpen. Uh, I'm going to throw two seasons and two reasons because I'm just trying to be pragmatic about this, Rich. First thing, they're not going to gain true maneuverability until after next season when, like I say, some of these short-term deals start coming off the books and that's when a little bit more roster flexibility will come their way. The second one is 2020. That will be the final year that the Mets, uh, well, let's just say that's when the Mets will finally have paid down all the debt, refinanced or otherwise. It's finally going to come to an end after 2020. And the Mets will gain even more maneuverability then. So all their debt because of Madoff comes to an end in 2020, and these short-term contracts will start, you know, dissipating at at the end of the next season. Uh, So this season, catcher and bullpen. And first base is going to, one way or another, uh, work itself out. Perhaps not to our satisfaction, but one way or another, the Mets are going to be forced into doing something there. Yeah, that's where I know. feel like I, I. That's where I feel like my ignorance, uh, you know, to like paying attention uh, comes out is the fact that catcher didn't even dawn on me, like, at all. And and, and you, you know, if you're not paying any attention, you could almost forget that, which is what I did. Kevin Pulvecki and Travis Serno or whatever. My God, Rich. <laughs> well, let's let's poke at catcher a little bit because I, I think they need a serious upgrade there. Uh, one thing I do want to say that I like that Brody said was Francesa asked him what kind of player he likes, and he said, I like guys who can run the bases, guys who can play defense, and guys who can hit, which that sounds like, you know, the, the sky is blue. But at the same time, it's not, oh, I like the three-run home run anymore. I, you know, I like one-dimensional offense. At least he said he likes – 
complete athletic players. And I, I almost I started clapping when I heard that. But anyway, I just <laughs> wanted to get that point out. When, when it comes to catcher, let, let, let's ask a question here. JT Real Muto has told the Marlins he wants out. He doesn't want to be there. I don't blame him, quite frankly. Um, and so now, knowing that Derek Jeter and the Marlins aren't in business to do the Mets a favor, should the Mets go uh, go all in on JT Real Muto and ask the Marlins, look, what's it going to take? Is it going to take Aselma? Is it going to take Lugo? Is it going to take Dom Smith? Is it going to take Peter Alonso? Do they do that? Or do they go the other way, hold the players, sign a free agent catcher like a Grandal? I do not want Wilson Ramos, but he is, he is an option. He has bad knees, and we don't need damaged goods anymore. We do too much of that. But anyway, all right, guys, quick answers here because we're, you know, we're running a bit short. So um, do the Mets go all in on Real Muto, or do they save the prospects and go elsewhere? Sam, you first, my friend. Uh, Real Muto sounds Mike Piazza-esque, and so it's hard to answer that. But, like, when I look at the talent the Mets have and I look at the way people operate with that in this day and age, you're not getting a Preston Wilson you know, for, for real Muto, you're not, you're not, when, when retrospect, everything was, was very one-sided, if you will. And it's hard to have that type of one-sided uh, uh, trade right now. So what are they asking? Like you said, um, I think a first baseman, like you said, uh, either Dominic Smith or Pete Alonzo, plus one of those pitchers you mentioned, that always go together. At this point, I don't want to trade either Gazelman or Lugo. I, I want them. This is great. Keep this running running as long as you want. It's the best part of the bullpen right now. Um, I don't know. It's tough. It, it's a tough question. But you're going to have to spend more than you did for a Mike Piazza, weirdly enough. And Mike Piazza became the the one of the cornerstones of the franchise. Uh, Real Muto right now, I, my fiance was a better baseball player at this point, but Real Muto has some umph to him. And what do you think, Mike, that would take? doesn't hurt to ask. The worst question you could ever ask is the one that you do not. Uh, that being said, look, all I, all I want is an improvement behind the plate. I want a better receiver and somebody who can throw out base runners at a better clip. That's my immediate need a better receiver, somebody the pitchers are more comfortable with, uh, you know, skillful behind the plate, defensive-minded. That's what I want in the immediate, immediate future. I'll just leave it at that. You know, whatever else we can come up with, with is fine. But that's what I want right now. I hear you. And I think the Mets have to spring a trade this offseason, and I mean a a fairly significant one where you you know you have to give to get right. You, you may have to give an Alonzo, you may have to give a Gaselman, you may have to give both. And the question becomes, you know, you fill you fill holes free agent wise. Sure, you know Josh Harrison was just released. Maybe he's a bench piece you could pick up for next to nothing. You know, you fill holes free agent wise where you can, and then you have to say, okay, I've got some chips. I'm not going to trade them all, but I'm going to trade a few of them. Where do I trade them? Where, do, where is there not a reasonable option in the free agent market that I'm going to spend two of my chips? And I would spend them on Real Muto. I, I believe he's 26 or so. 
He runs well. He's, he can be a leadoff hitter, for goodness sake. He hits the ball. He, he throws people out. If it costs me two or three prospect or two or three players to get him, um, I'm not giving them Conforto. I'm not giving them Rosario. But uh, pretty much anybody else, you know, I, I'd, I'd think about it. Um, so, anyway, I did want to touch on Real Muto because that was a story this week. And another story this week in Metsville, or, or in baseball, I should say, not so much Metsville, is the passing of Willie McCovey and Stretch McCovey. I did want to touch on that. Um, now, you know, he, he predates you and me, Mike, a little bit. You know, his best years were before us. Um, what I remember about Willie McCovey is he had tremendous power. He was an aging slugger when I started following the game, um, but a very fearsome one. And, um, you know, most of his career at the San Francisco Giants, a couple of years with the Padres, um, I'll pull up his numbers now. And But, but think about this. The one thing about McCovey that I, that I think about is – when he, in the 1962 World Series, none of us were born, he made the last out, and I've seen that on, um, on highlights, where the Giants had men on base, they were down by a run. McCovey hits a bullet right at the Yankees' second baseman. Five feet in either direction, it's a base hit, two-run score. The Giants walk off winning the World Series. But because it was hit right at, I believe it was Bobby Richardson, because it was hit right at him, Third out, World Series over, Yankees win. So I think about that, and I think about this too. 521 career home runs, um, pretty amazing. His 162-game average, 33 home runs, 97 RBIs. Yeah, I'll take that on my team. And a 270 average. He wasn't one of these 220 hitters. 33 home runs, 97 RBIs on average with a 270 batting average. Fearsome. Um, and the baseball world lost him at age 80. Uh, poor Stretch had been in a wheelchair for several years, and you know whenever you'd see him recently, he'd you know he'd be wheeled out. And uh, but and whenever you hear him interview, just a nice man, a humble, humble, nice man. So thoughts on that? You know we lose a good one. Mike, why don't you go first? Gentle Giant, Rookie of the Year, MVP in '69. Again, you know we were too young for that. I remember most as a San Diego Padre. Uh, playing with Dave Winfield and, and Randy Jones uh, before he went back to the Giants. Uh, and uh, even then, uh, you know, he was an aging star, but still back then in those days, 23 home runs, 8 RBIs, that was an honest day's work. Uh, stretch, uh, Hall of Famer, back when uh, 500 home runs meant so much more than it does today, uh, or 1,500 RBIs for that matter. You know, back then it meant a lot more than it does today. I guess that comes with the passage of time, but that also, you know, is due in part because of uh, what we call the steroid era. Uh, but uh, stretch, man. Uh, I, I'm glad that I, 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 you know, baseball had me when, when it did in, in the early to mid-70s, and I got to see him uh, along with a lot of those uh, fading stars. Uh, Stretch was definitely one of them. Sorry to see him go. Uh, rest well, my friend. Uh, thanks. You know, he, like uh, Willie Stargell and, and Mike Schmidt, and, you know, they just routinely came to Shea Stadium and wrecked us. 
and I remember numerous moonshots that McCovey hit against the Mets at Chase Stadium. Uh, good times. I don't care because I'm just a baseball fan, and I'm so appreciative to have seen players like Willie McCovey play. Rest well, my friend. Absolutely. Now, Sam, I don't mean to embarrass you, but um, I believe he was he retired five years before you were born. So um, any thoughts on Willie McCovey? Well, he's a fellow southpaw, and that will always go a long way with me. I probably don't know enough about McCovey, but the fact that he is a southpaw will go a long way with me. Uh, I like that he played for Oakland briefly. I like that he got on each side of the bay. And he had a 374 career on base percentage, which is pretty remarkable to me. 521 home runs, 270 batting average. Uh, it looks like, and this is what I like the most about what I've discovered, that his best year was a year he did not win the World Series, and that is 1969, and we all know who won the World Series that year. <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> Um, so, yeah, that, that's big news from the world of baseball. And then I have a couple other quick questions for you guys, and I'll kind of shoot them out rapid fire. Um, let, let's not, uh, you know, we can't not, double negative, can't not acknowledge the Boston Red Sox won the World Series. Good for them, 108 wins. Best team won, and oh, that's yeah. always a good oh, yeah. thing. That's always a good thing. But let, let's make a few comments on the postseason and how that might impact the New York Mets. So, a fellow by the name of Manny Machado. Um Everybody's saying if anybody could sell the Wilpons, I don't want to revisit our previous conversation, but if anybody could sell the Wilpons on signing Machado, it's BVW. Um, okay, maybe, maybe not. We, we already talked about that. But Manny Machado, do you want him on the team? You know, he, he showed some warts. You know, he did. He doesn't hustle. He, he's in the freaking World Series, and he's, not, and he's not running hard every time. So, did Mike, if you wanted him, uh, both getting the same question. Go to Mike first. If you wanted him before, did that change after his antics in the postseason? Go ahead, Mike. He's totally exposed now. If you didn't know before, now you know. Uh, two words for you, Rich. Bobby Bonilla. Yeah. Yep, 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 yep. Come on. Are we really going to go down this road again? I mean, <laughs> listen, unless you want to believe that the good guys on the Mets are now going to change Manny Machado for the better or Bryce Harper for the better, then I got a thousand bridges in New York, I want to say. And there are a lot of them, too, by the way, and you've probably driven over all of them. So, um, so next thing I wanted to ask you about, I, at first I thought it was a joke. Bryce Harper moved to Long Island City in a building where there are four Mets already live, or at least has an apartment, didn't move, but – he, he is now leasing an apartment there, and everybody's like, oh, that's him saying he wants to play in New York and all this kind of thing. And I thought it was a hoax, but I guess it's true. And um, so uh, let me ask you first, Sam, would you want our favorite person, Bryce Harper, in a Mets uniform? Again, like I just said, I mean, everything points to a big reason why the Nats won but didn't go farther was because Bryce Harper is good, but – he it's great. He's great. But, you know, he just seems to have some attitude problem. Nobody could tame that, that toxic environment that never went past a game five of the division series. And now it's, it, it, 
unless Washington retains them and we continue this, and it's all about we have we still have unfinished business. That's a different story. Uh, I hear that the Cubs could sign him, but that was like a year ago. Somebody told me that. <laughs> so um, the Yankees, who have kind of have an outfield, uh, and then the Mets, who very much have an outfield. So I I, I just don't see the fit. Even if, listen, listen, people can like living places without it meaning anything. I hear you. Mike, do you want Bryce Harper or stay away like the plague? Uh, stay away. You'd be shoehorning uh, him into this situation. I'm just not in the mood to spend that kind of money now, even though we probably spend, spend, spend. Uh, it would just be money spent unwisely, just considering their present situation just doesn't work right now. I hear you. I don't want either one of them. I think I'd rather spend the money that would you would spend on one of them and get three players, three good character guys who might not be as talented, but you fill a couple of holes with guys who aren't toxic in the clubhouse because I'm telling you what, I watch a lot of baseball. You know, I get the, uh, the extra inning package every game, every night, but I never, ever realized that Manny Machado was that kind of a dog. I never, ever realized that. So, guys, That's why I say if you didn't know before, now you know. Wow. He, he got exposed. To he you, totally, you nailed it, Rich. He totally did. I did not know that. You know, I don't watch a ton of Orioles action, but I watch them when they're on, you know, just if it happens to be the good game. And I never saw him to be, you know, yes, he's a little bit hot-headed. Okay, that's fine. A lot of guys are. But he doesn't hustle. I hate that. How can you not run out a ground ball, a double play ball in the World Series? But, and, when he, and when he does, he steps on the first baseman's foot. Yeah, right. Who he's apparently a is a great friend. He's apparently is a great friend. He's a team and, chip. And not, not for nothing, if a guy like uh, – <laughs> I can't believe this name isn't coming to, coming to me right now. Uh, damn it, his manager, Baltimore. Buck oh, Walter. Walter. If Brooke Showalter can't correct him, well then you know what? Nobody can. I hear you, and Buck's out too. Um, so there's been a lot of movement in baseball. There will be a lot of guys shaking from the trees. You know, like Josh Harrison is one. There'll be a lot more, and it's going to be an interesting time. And we have come to the end of our GM special edition. Really, we're going to call it GM special edition part two because we talked about the anticipation <laughs> of one last time, right? And this is special edition. We have one. What do we think edition? So, guys, I want to thank you very much for joining this evening to talk a little Mets baseball as the hot stove has really heated up in Flushing. Um, we do have to do a last word for tonight. And so let's wheel it around. We'll go to Manhattan first, to Hell's Kitchen, and we'll ask Mr. Maxwell, what is your last word tonight? Well, my last word is anticipation. The GM meetings are coming up. Uh, that doesn't necessarily mean any crazy moves are going to get made, but we'll start to maybe have a feeling. I'm sure some rumors are going to come out uh, as to what Rodi von Vagaden, there you go. I think I said it with a D as well, uh, is going to do. And I guess my last word is D. There's D. I like it. <laughs> Your last word's a letter, a letter in question this evening. Mike, what is your last word tonight? Forward. Let's just move forward now and see how this works itself out. I, I, I think, you know, uh, at face value, we'll be better off. 
Uh, outside of that, forward. And mine is work. Um, they have some work to do. He said it. So that work starts. It already started for him. It should have started the minute he took the job, and I'm sure it did. GM meetings coming up, winter meetings to follow. Um, let's get to work because, you know, we had two seasons of competitive baseball, you know, postseason action, followed by two seasons of UG. So let's get to work and, and let's make the UG go away. So with that, guys, we'll get back to the numbers and all that next podcast, but this is one we had to do given the huge news in Metsville. I enjoyed our robust discussion. And, um, and how do we always end these things, Sam? What do we say at the end of these things? Let's, I believe you say let's, let's go, go Mets. Mets. Let's go Mets. Good night, everybody. Good night, gentlemen. Good night. Good night.